If you would, take your Bibles out this morning and turn with me to Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. We're excited about the Word here, as you can see. I am so stoked to be here with you today. Uh, let me just be honest with you. I had the opportunity to speak um, three times while we were gone. Awesome church, Full Life Church. is an incredible church. Um, I'm going to tell you exactly what I told them. They are the second best church in the world. Um, you're the first. And um, I'm just so excited about being here with you today and being able to speak to you. I can assure you that you are an easier crowd to talk to. You laugh at all my jokes. <laughs> they laugh at my accent. So um, I'm just excited about today. Um, let, me, let me share this with you. This past Monday morning, very early, we were in the airport in Manchester, England. We had uh, probably a couple of hours before our flight departed. So we were trying to burn some time. So I decided that I would take in my last English breakfast. So as I was finishing up my breakfast, my toast and bacon, that was as English as it got for me, um, I, I picked up an England newspaper and I began to peruse through the headlines. And as I was going through the headlines, one of the headlines, a three-word headline, jumped off the page at me. just caught my attention. It just captured my thoughts. And it said this. It said, uncertainty floods America. And as I began to read further into this article, I, I began to ponder our culture. I began to think about our culture because all you have to do is take a panoramic view of our culture. And you'll see uncertainty everywhere. We've got economic failures. We've got recession. We've got panic and anxiety. We've got the war. We've got the health care crisis, the mortgage crisis. We've got Michael Jackson dying. I just thought I'd get that in there. We've got all of these things that are taking place. And, and we see that there is a huge amount of uncertainty, in, especially in our culture. And then the article went on to ask this question. It said, was America caught off guard. Furthermore, the article said something that just really captured my attention, and I'm, I'm going to quote it to you. It said this, it said, resolution of the troubles that America faces will be nothing short of the miraculous. Wow. Resolution of the trouble that we face will be nothing short of the miraculous. Less, less, less just began to echo in me. That word just, just came to life inside of me. I began to think about miracles. It was at that very point that I knew that this would be our next series of talks. You see, I began to think about the miraculous. And I began to think about the uncertainty that we have. And I began to, to think, God, this is what you're doing in us. You see, because today, if the truth be known and I could pull this crowd, there's a lot of uncertainty in this room today. There are people who are flooded with uncertainty. You're swamped with the difficulties of life. Something has caught you off guard. It's hit you out of left field and you have not a clue as to how to deal with it. And you're in search of a miracle. Maybe you're even asking, do miracles really exist? I mean, is there such a thing as the miraculous? Maybe that's what you're asking this morning. Maybe you're wondering, does God still perform these miracles? Does, does, does 
miracles exist, can he still breathe a miracle into existence? Maybe that's what you're thinking in your situation. Maybe the newspaper of your life reads that there's uncertainty that is swamping you and that you're in need of the miraculous. And you're asking, God, do you still perform miracles? Let me answer that question for you today in a resounding way. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, absolutely, the answer is yes. God performs miracles today, just as he did 2,000 years ago. Now, do I understand why God performs miracles and why he doesn't? Do I understand why he does some and doesn't do others? No. And I won't pretend to act like I do. But what I do know is this. When I search through the New Testament, I see that there were over three dozen miracles that Jesus performed. Over three dozen. And oftentimes you can see that there is this uncertainty that just raises its ugly head. And out of that uncertainty, you see the birthing place of miracles. I mean, you see it. You see the lame guy who's uncertain about his future, and yet out of that uncertainty is birthed a miracle. You see all of these different miracles that Jesus performs, and out of that uncertainty is birthed these awesome miracles. Now, what I want to say to you is this. As we study this series, as we go through this series of talks, my prayer is this, that God will expand your faith. But not only will he expand your faith, my prayer is that you will begin to believe God for the impossible. You know, those things that other people say cannot happen? (laughs) My prayer is that you'll begin to believe God that those things will happen. And today I want to begin, I want to look at an awesome miracle, this incredible miracle that that Jesus performed. I don't don't want to begin with the lame dude. I don't want to begin with the blind guy. I don't want to begin with, with the water being turned into wine. All of those are incredible, awesome miracles. But what I want to begin with this morning is I want to show you how powerful Jesus' voice really was. How even the earth obeyed his voice. In Matthew chapter 4, I want us to look at it together. We're going to read it. This incredible miracle that took place. You see, the disciples, literally, their lives were flooded with uncertainty. They were absolutely in the storm of their lives. And yet Jesus reached into their situation and he calmed the storm. He calmed the uncertainty. He stopped the storm of their lives. And as we look at it, let's read a few of these verses together. Look at verse 35 of chapter 4. It says this, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, and just as he was. Now, this is another sermon altogether, but I love those three words, just as he, four words, just as he was. (laughs) My math's a little off. I love those four words because you know what that tells me? That Jesus didn't have to go and prepare for anything. When he was doing ministry, he was always ready. Wow. We'll look at that another time. But it says, just as he was in the boat, there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Look at verse 38. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said to him, teacher, teacher. Don't you care if we drown? Don't you care that we can't bail this water out of this boat? Don't you care that we're sinking? That we're wigging out? Don't you care that 
It's about to come to an end for us. Now, I want to hit the pause button right there. Because I want to paint this picture for you. Mark used some incredible words that, that really painted this picture. He, he chose some words that would convey a message that would actually put you at the scene. You see, this body of water that they're crossing, it's really the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is actually 680 feet below sea level. And it's surrounded by these cavernous mountains. Now, what's odd and also what's beautiful about the Sea of Galilee is that it can be beautiful because of the weather patterns and because of the terrain. It can be absolutely beautiful. But in a moment's notice, it can be, boom, totally out of control. And you're surrounded by a storm that is merciless and will absolutely destroy you. You see, that's what Mark is saying is going on here. And the disciples are absolutely wigging out with the storm. But he doesn't stop there. Because Mark paints a picture. He chooses some Greek words that really we need to grab a hold of today. Mark says this. He says in verse 37 that a furious squall comes up. It says a furious squall came up. When he says came up, that actually means in the Greek that it caught them totally unexpectedly. That it caught the disciples by surprise. They did not expect it whatsoever. They were totally caught unaware. Then they were left with all of this uncertainty. Not only that, but Mark says, you know what? This is not just your average storm. This was a a mega storm. In the Greek, he used a word for mega, which means that this storm was very comparable to our hurricanes. How many of you have seen a hurricane? Very difficult storm. This storm, let let me give you the picture of this storm. This storm was totally unexpected. This storm in and of itself was horrifically violent. It was massive in size. And it was turbulent in nature. Are you grabbing a hold of this? This was not the spring shower at the lake. (laughs) This was an incredible storm. An ugly storm. Now that you have that thought, I want you to hold that there for a second. Because I want to take you out of 2009. And I want to place you in the story 2,000 years ago. You see, when the verse says there was a furious squall that came up, you know, sometimes in life there are things that just come up out of left field and catch us unaware. There are things that are totally unexpected that just come up in our lives and just catch us totally off guard. There is an uncertainty that just strikes us in our lives at times. Just out of nowhere. Catches us totally off guard. In fact, you can take verse 37 and substitute some of the words in verse 37. Look with me. Let let, let me show you something. Look at verse 37. We can take out a furious squall and and we can substitute words like um, instead of a furious squall coming up, we could say a financial hardship came up. We could say an occupational nightmare came up. A relational difficulty came up we could say a health issue came up and began to swamp our boat it began to to drown us have you ever been there something that just caught you totally off guard it was not in the plans but yet it happened anyway when we were on our way to england we flew from here a couple of sundays ago and we flew to chicago O'Hare International Airport. And when we were leaving O'Hare flying to Maltby or to Manchester, 
the captain came online and he said, this is the captain speaking, yeah, they do. That very serious voice. And he was telling us what the temperature was in Manchester. And he said, when we get into Ireland or over Ireland, we're going to fly into some weather, weather patterns that are going to be a little uh, turbulent. At that point in time, we're going to ask you to put your seatbelt on and, and this, that, and the other. So uh, two or three, four, five hours later or so, we fly over Ireland. And yes, sure enough, the seatbelt sign comes on. And, you know, he says, if you would, just fasten your seatbelts. And we all began to fasten our seatbelts. And as I began to look around at some of us who really hadn't flown a whole lot, I, I see their eyes getting great big, you know. He's telling you of this impending turbulence. And everybody's kind of cinching up their seatbelt as tight as they can get it. My question to you is this. When the seatbelt sign in life comes on, what do you do? Do you wig out like the disciples did? Do you just absolutely wig out the way they did? I guess my question to you really is this. What do you do with the uncertainty of life? What do you do? When the uncertainty of life comes up, when the unexpected turbulence comes up in your life, what is it that you do? Because you see, Christ showed us in Mark chapter 4 exactly what we're supposed to do. He laid out the plan. He showed us exactly how we handle the unexpected turbulence. When you're cruising along and life seems to be good, and then all of a sudden, boom, out of left field, you're hit with something that you didn't expect. He shows us how to deal with it. He shows us the equation for it. So today, that's what I want to show you. I'm, I'm praying that your faith is built in such a way out of this talk today that you'll see what you're supposed to do when you're hit with this unexpected turbulence, the, the uncertainty of life. But in order for us to understand the dynamics of what's going on here in this story, we've got to understand what's happening below the surface. Because there are some things that are taking place below the surface here that you really need to wrap your brain around. First off, there are two players in this story. We've got the disciples and we have Jesus. Say disciples. Disciples, Jesus. Everyone. Jesus. We have these two players, but you know what? They're in the same boat, they're in the same situation, but these two players handle this extreme situation in extremely different ways. And what I want to do first is I want to look at how they handle this situation. First, I want to begin with the disciples because they handle this in a totally different style that, that Jesus did. You see, when uncertainty and turbulence hits, sometimes we take on the mentality of the disciples. We do what the disciples did. We, we have this thing when uncertainty hits in our lives. It's something that I call the turbulent three. If you've got your worship directory, I want you to open it up with me because I want you to fill in the blank. It's something that I call the turbulent three. You see, when this uncertainty comes, we sign on to these things. A lot of times, these things just kind of rear their ugly heads in our lives. The disciples did it. Sometimes I do it. Sometimes you do it. I want to break apart those turbulent three. I, I want us to look at that. You see, when you're being swamped by the waves of uncertainty, these three things rear their ugly head. Here's the first one. It's what I call the turbulent three, being self-absorbed. Write that down. Self-absorbed. How many of you in here own a, a, um, a sponge? Anybody in here have a sponge? Anybody in here ever used a sponge? Sponges are an awesome thing, man. They're incredible. 
Think about this with me for a second. When they're dry, they absolutely can do some phenomenal things. You can take a sponge and set it on top of a puddle of liquid and it will... Just suck that liquid off the table for you or off the floor in, in our case, at our house. It'll just suck it all up. I mean, it just does some miraculous things. But if you take that sponge and you place that sponge on another liquid without first wringing it out, what does that sponge do? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> that sponge, in fact, will sometimes even release the fluid that it's already collected into this other pile of fluid. It, it won't suck up anymore. Why? Because it's full. It's dripping just totally dripping with the fluid that you've already picked up. Sometimes when we go through difficulties, when we go through the storms of life, we become what I call sponge people. You know what we do? We take our sponge and we set it on top of the puddle of fear. And we begin to suck up. Awesome sound effects. We begin to suck up this puddle of fear. And you know what happens? We get so overwhelmed with the fear that we're no good to nobody else. We're no good to anyone around us. We're so consumed with ourselves. It's all about us. We've, we're so drenched. We're dripping with fear. We can't do anything for anyone else because we're just totally absorbed with self, with the fear. And so we're looking out for self. You see, it becomes about us rather than those around us. You see, that's what happened with the disciples. It became about them rather than him. If you'll look at verse 38, something extraordinary happens in verse 38. In verse 38, they, they, after their sponges become full of fear, they go to Jesus and they say, Hey, dude, you're going to have to wake up. You're going to have to get up. Don't you see what's going on here? We are we're about to just buy the farm. We're about to kick the bucket. We're about to become fish food. That means they were about to die. You got to help us here. You, you got to do something. You see, it was all about them. They were totally absorbed with, with self. It's about, what, what are you going to do for me? What are you going to do for me, Jesus? You see, how many times has that happened in relationships with you? We tend to have conflict with others. And we get so self-absorbed that we lose our ability to empathize with those that we're having conflict with. We begin to think about us. We can't see it from their perspective. Why? Because we're self-absorbed. We're thinking about how it affects me. We can no longer see it from their perspective. And you know what happens? You never solve your problem. Why? Because it's all about you. That's what was going on with the disciples. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> scared to death. Wake up. It was all about them. You see, that's the first thing that comes up. It's is being self-absorbed. The second thing is this, being self-centered. Wow. Now this is pretty big. Because let me explain this to you. Your life is set up in such a way that Christ is supposed to be the center of your life. I mean, the Word tells us that. That God should be the center of your life. In other words, your life should revolve around God. Everything in your life should revolve around God. Your marriage, it should revolve around God. Your finances, they should revolve around God. Your relationships, guess what? Around God. 
your health. It should revolve around God. But too often, it doesn't revolve around God. Rather, it revolves around self. Look at what the disciples did. Let's read on in verse 38. Let me show you something. It says, they looked at one another and said this, don't you care if he drowns? We've got to protect he. We've got to look out for for he. It's all about he. Does it say that? No. They woke Jesus up and said, don't you care if what? We drown. It wasn't about Jesus at all. It was about them. They were self-centered. You see, it wasn't about Jesus. It it wasn't whether or not he was going to drown. They were self-centered right in the middle of the mess. And you see, how many of you, and don't answer this, don't raise your hand, but you've been involved in in difficulty and you become self-centered just like this. Can I tell you something? If that's what you do, your boat's going to be swamped every single time. You see, so you have self-absorbed, you have self-centered, and then you also have this third thing called self-reliant. Fill in the blank. This is a very important one here. I want you to grab this. Because when we run into problems, sometimes we become self-reliant. Verse 40, Jesus, he gathers the disciples up on the boat, and he begins to rebuke the disciples. He said, why are you afraid? What is your problem here? Why is it that you're afraid? And then he says this. Do you still have no faith? Do you know what Jesus was saying to them? Pretty simple. They didn't have any faith. They had the opposite of faith. They had what? Fear. Why did they have fear? You know why they had so much fear? Because they did not put their trust in him. Rather, they put their trust in their ability to bail water. Think about this with me for a second. They put their trust in their own ability to solve their own problem. And once they could not bail water as fast as the waves were breaking over the bow, guess what? That's when they wigged out. You see, they wigged out because they could not fix their own problem. How many times have you tried to fix your own problem and made it worse? You see... We can't be self-reliant when we're going through the uncertainties of life. We, we, we can't do that because it will swamp your boat every single time. Now, here's the deal. Now that we've talked about the disciples and their traits and characteristics, I want to look at the Jesus aspect real quick because there were some incredible things that Christ did in this story that we can extract and apply to our lives. When you're going through difficulties, because let me tell you this, you will go through difficulties in your life. Right now, some of you are in difficulty. Right now, or just recently, some of you have come out of difficulty. Very soon, some of you are going to go into difficulty. It's a fact of life. It's going to happen. You're going to have uncertain times in your life. But there are some things that you must remember, and we can learn this from Christ himself. Here's the first thing that you need to remember when you're going through uncertainty is this. The appointmental aspect. Write that down. The appointmental aspect aspect you've got to remember that you're in the storm by God's appointment wow some of you right now are saying well hold on a second God you, you, you're gonna have to change my appointment book <laughs> you're gonna have to change my calendar because whoo it seems like this storm has been taking a long time 
Listen, know that you're there by God's appointment. Can I tell you something? God knew before you were born what would be taking place during this season of your life. Did you know that? He knew before you were ever the twinkling or the apple of your parents' eye what would be going on in your life this very moment. You see, he knew that. In fact, let me, let me prove something to you. Look at verse 35. Verse 35 says this. That day when evening came, who was it that was about to speak? It's in red. That day when evening came, look in your Bibles, who's about to speak? Say it again. Say it again. Jesus is about to say something to the disciples. Let's look and see what it is. He says this. Let's go to the other side. Hold on a second. He said, let's go to the other side of the lake. Now check this out. Because this is important. You see, the trip was Jesus' idea. It was Jesus' idea to go over to the other side of the lake. Now, here's what's profoundly interesting to me. If Jesus, it was his idea to go across the other side of the lake, and he is the Son of God, then certainly he had to know that a storm was coming up. You know what that tells me? That confirms for me, I can conclude from that, that the disciples were not in the storm because they were out of God's will. They were in the storm because they were in God's will. You grabbing that? You see, they were in God's will, and that's why they were in the storm. You see, they were following Jesus' direction. So whether you're in a turbulent area in your life because of the will of God, whether you're in the turbulent area of your life because of bad choices, or whether you're in a turbulent area in your life because of the enemy of life, for whatever reason, know that it's by God's appointment. You see, God knows. He knows where you are and what you're going through. So when a furious squall begins to... Man, you are a tough crowd this morning. (laughs) When the furious squall begins to blow in your life, realize that it's there by God's appointment. But you know what's awesome about God? God is a good enough God to bring about good things in all things. He's a good enough God to bring about some good stuff, even through those difficulties. You see, trouble is appointed by God at times in our lives. Here's the second thing that you need to take from Mark chapter 4 that we can learn from Jesus. And that is this. It's the presentational aspect. Write that down. The presentational aspect. You see, when you're going through troubled times, you're there with His presence. That should be just absolute music to some of your ears this morning. When you're going through difficulty in your body, difficulty in your relationships, difficulty in your marriage, difficulty in your finances, you need to know that God is right there with you. No matter what you're going through. In fact, verse 38, Jesus was in the stern of the boat on a cushion. What was he doing? Man, he was sawing some logs. He was cutting some Z's. He was... That one's not too good, but... Anyway, he was snoring. You see, as the disciples were wigging out, I mean, they were absolutely freaking out as to what was going on. Jesus was was sleeping. He wasn't wigging out at all. I want you to think about this concept with me for a second. Did you know that 
that God has like never called an emergency meeting. <laughs> you know that, that like in heaven, the angels have never heard God say, Oh, I didn't expect this. Can you go get me the rest of the Trinity? <laughs> go get Jesus. <laughs> go get the Holy Spirit. We've got to have a meeting. This caught me off guard, totally surprised me. I don't know how to deal with this. You never see that. The angels have never heard that. Did you know that God never, ever, ever, never, ever panics? He doesn't panic. He knows all things. You see, he sees it when it's coming. You you have to understand that he does not panic. But here's what's neat to me about verse 38. Right in the middle of this hurricane, where was he at? He was in the stern. Sleeping on a cushion. Now, depending upon how that boat was built, he may have been out of sight. There's a good possibility that he was out of sight. That's what's neat to me. You see, even though Christ was unseen, he was still there. You know what's awesome? No matter what you're going through in life, even though he's unseen, realize he's still there. You know what? Maybe you've grown up in church and maybe you know all about this passage of Scripture, but in Psalms 23, David writes what we call the 23rd Psalm. Christians quote this, this, this Psalm. We, we Christ followers, we quote it all of, all of the time. But it is an incredible passage of Scripture. I mean, it's incredible. He says this, he said, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You know what he's saying? Though I walk through the ugliness of life. Though I walk through the difficulties, the uncertainties, the relational difficulties, the financial difficulties, David's life was up and down. He said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he says, I will fear no evil. How can he say that? How can he say that I will fear no evil? You know how he can say it? Because the next statement in that psalm says, because thou art with me. Doesn't matter what you're going through. God's presence is with you. There's a presentational aspect that you need to know because God will never, 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 ever, never, never, ever, never, ever, never, ever, ever, never leave you nor forsake you. That's what the Bible says. Here's the third thing. So we have the appointmental aspect, we have the presentational aspect, and then we have the purposeful aspect. The purposeful aspect, which means this. You are where you are in the struggle for His purposes. Write that down. I'm going to give you a second to write that down. You are where you are in the struggle for His purposes. Why is that? Some of you are saying, Pastor Mark, hold on a second. How is that? Well... You see, God may be trying to do something in you that he could not do any other way. And through the difficulty, through the uncertainty, through the obstacles, he is refining you to become the person that he so needs you to be. Think about this with me. In verse 35, whose idea was it to go to the other side? Okay. Jesus says, hey, we're going to the other side. As they go to the other side, him being fully God, he had to know that the storms were going to blow up. 
So why would he want the disciples to go to the other side? Because obviously, he doesn't necessarily have to go to the other side. If he wants to teach them a faith lesson, he can go out, get caught in the middle of the storm, and then turn around and come back. But he didn't do that. He wanted to go to the other side. You see, so we know he wanted to enhance the disciples' faith. But what was the significance of the other side? Well, on the other side, in the very next chapter, we see that there's this demon-possessed dude who is actually putting fear into all of the countryside in this place called the Gadarenes. Everybody was scared of this dude. Legion. Everybody was scared of him. What is your name? They call me Legion. Everybody had fear. He was just terrorizing the countryside. In other words, Satan had possessed this dude. And now Satan had control of this countryside. So you know what Jesus said? I've got to do. I've got to go to the other side. I've got to go, go to the other side. And just as soon as he stepped on the other side, he was met with this guy. And then another miracle took place. He healed this guy. Here's what's neat to me. When I look at chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, stay right here with me because we're about to close. This is what's neat. I, I see that this particular passage of verses, the storm at sea, is directly connected to what happens in the next chapter, in chapter 5, verse 1. There is no verse 42. Look at your Bibles. There is no verse 42. There's no Mark chapter 4, verse 42. But the story continues on into Mark chapter 5, verse 1. Just as soon as they step off the boat, he steps into another time, another opportunity to perform a miracle. One was connected with the other. But you know what the other was? It was a new chapter. Here's my thought for you today. Whatever it is that you're going through right now, is directly connected to the next chapter in your life. It's directly connected to the new chapter in your life. That's incredible to me. They didn't start with another story in in Matthew chapter 5. They were finishing up the Sea of Galilee experience. In other words, what it is that you're going through is directly connected to the new chapter in your life. How many of you can say amen to that? Now, here's the deal. Let's, Let's look at something else as as we close you see maybe god is purposing you through the storm just to do something in you to improve something in you that he could not do any other way and then here's this miracle in mark chapter 4 verses 39 and 40 here's the miracle the raging sea is just basically taking this vessel beginning to swamp the vessel. The waves are breaking over the boat. I can imagine the boat is just taking on more water than they know what to do with. The winds are blowing like crazy. And I can just see Jesus kind of parting the way on the boat, moving from the stern to the bow, and standing up on the bow, and looking at the raging sea and the winds, and Him saying, Quiet! Be still! all of a sudden there's no noise all of a sudden the raging sea has gone to a flat sea all of a sudden the disciples are looking at one another in amazement you see here's my point as our pianist comes back 
My point is this. God so desires to speak to whatever difficulty is going on in your life today. He so desires to speak. Quiet and be still. And you know what those words may do? Those words may bring a miracle into your life. Those words may bring healing to your body, healing to your relationship, healing to your finances, healing to your marriage. Those words, quiet and be still as the winds subside. There just may be a miracle for you in the new chapter. But you know what else? For some of you, your storm is going to continue to rage. But you know what? God is still going to speak to that storm, but he's going to do it in a different way. He's going to speak to your heart. And he's going to say to your heart, quiet and be still and know that I am God. You see, God is still in the miracle business. But there was something that was awesome about this story that I noticed. You see, when Jesus was asleep and he was out of sight and he was out of mind, the disciples wigged out. Man, they were scared to death. What are we going to do? But after they woke Jesus up and they put Jesus in the place that he was supposed to be in the center, (laughs) some things began to really take place. My point to you is this. We have to be Christ-absorbed. We have to be Christ-centered. And we have to be Christ-reliant. When we do those three things in our relationships, in our finances, in our difficulties, in whatever it is that you're facing, whatever storm or uncertainty that is going on in your life, when those three things begin to come to the forefront of your mind, you become so Christ-absorbed and Christ-centered and Christ-reliant. You know what he's going to do? He's going to say, quiet and be still. And the miracle of life is going to take place for you. Wow. How awesome is God? If you would, I want you to bow your heads. In fact, I want you to just stand to your feet. I want you to close your eyes. every head bowed and every eye closed because I truly believe today that we have people in this place you're going through uncertainty maybe it's a job difficulty maybe The storms of life are breaking over the bow of your boat. Maybe it's a relational difficulty. Maybe your marriage is in turmoil and you don't have a clue as to what to do. And uncertainty has flooded your life. You know what? Today is your day. Today is your opportunity to hear the voice of God say, Quiet, be still. So with no one looking around, I I truly believe that God is ministering to some people in this place today. So here's what I want to do. If you'd say to me, Pastor Martin, you know what? You've spoken to me. 
I've gone through storms. I've gone through difficulties. I've gone through uncertainties in my life. And today, I feel more than ever that I need God to help me. And I want to give it all to Him. Today's your day. I want you to raise your hand. I want you to raise your hand. Wow. Raise your hand high. Raise it high. Nobody's looking around but me. You need God to show up and show out. You need God to stay quiet and be still. You need Him today. If that's you, just lift your hand all, all over the spirit. Wow. Now you can put your hand down because I'm going to do one other thing. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know what, I, I, I really don't know this Christ. My life seems to be one difficulty after another, one after another, one after another, and I've never had Christ at the center of my life. And today, I want to make that decision. I want to step out and say, God, I need you to take control of my life. I need you to be the center of who I am. I need you to be right in the middle of my life. If that's you, to raise your hand. Nobody's looking around. Put your hands down. Here's what I want you to do. If you raised your hand for either one of those things, I don't want you to miss a beat. I want you to step out from where you are and I want you to come down to the...